And good afternoon. You're listening to Ken Hudno. This is the Ken Hudno Show. Coming to you from our studios right here in exciting El Paso, Texas. Gateway to the Old West. The most haunted city in the country. Well, today is Leap Day. February 29th. And... It is a uh, interesting day. You know, February 29th only comes around every four years. So, of course, it um, it was a date that was a, a day that was added uh, periodically to create uh, leap years in the Julian Gregorian calendars, and it has a lot of interesting customs and traditions associated with it. And it's long been a day of traditions, folklore, and superstitions ever since it was first added to the calendar by Julius Caesar 2,000 years ago. The, um, you know, 2020 was a leap year, and 2024 is a leap year. Now, according to an old Irish tradition, which many say is actually history, St. Bridget struck a deal with St. Patrick to allow women to propose to men. Not just the other way around, every four years. It's believed to have been introduced to balance traditional roles uh, of men and women in a similar way to to, um, how Leap Day balances the calendar. You know, in some places... Leap Day has been known as Bachelor's Day for the same reason. A man is expected to pay a penalty such as a gown or money if he refused a marriage proposal from a woman on Leap Day. Many European countries, especially in the upper classes of society, tradition dictates that any man who refuses a woman's proposal on February 29th has to buy her 12 pairs of gloves. The intention is the woman can wear the gloves to hide the embarrassment of not having an engagement ring. During the Middle Ages, actually, there were laws governing this tradition. So this wasn't somebody's idea. It was the law. You know, people born on February 29th are all invited to join the Honor Society of Leap Year Day Babies. Um, and an interesting question. When do they celebrate their birthday? Most people celebrated either February 28th or March 1st. Um, but, you know, the, the point is, if you're born on February 29th, and it only comes around every four years, then theoretically, let's say you, you hit 20, you're only five years old. Now, according to the Guinness Book of World Records, or Leap Day World Record holders, both of a family producing three consecutive generations born on February 29th, and of the number of children born on February 29th into the same family. Well, in Scotland, it used to be considered unlucky for somebody to be born on Leap Day. This is February 13th is considered an unlucky day by many. Greeks considered unlucky for couples to marry during a leap year, especially on Leap Day. Then, of course, we have, uh, you know, Leap Day is also known as St. Oswald's Day named after the Archbishop of York, who died on February 29th in the year 992. 
is memorial celebrated on February 29th during leap years and on February 29th during common years. And interestingly enough, this is a fact you can bandy around in your classrooms if you're a student, Mars has more leap years than Earth does. And, uh, you know, in, in talking about leap year, why are there 12 months of the year? You know, years divided into 12 months in the modern Gregorian calendar. And the months are either 28, 29, 30, or 31 days long. Now, a common year has 365 days. Leap years have 366 days. That's to keep our calendar aligned with the solar year and astronomical seasons marked by equinoxes and solstices. The, um, well, the months originated as a way to mark time and break up the year into shorter periods based on the, the moon's orbit around the Earth. The word month is even derived from the word moon. As far as we know, months were first used in Mesopotamia sometime between uh, 500 B.C. and 400 B.C. to measure the natural period related to the lunar month or synodic month, which is the time it takes for the moon to go through all the moon phases. Our current Gregorian calendar and its predecessor, the Julian calendar, both have 12 months. But, um, interestingly enough, the month names we use are derived from the Roman calendar, which initially only had 10 months, with the calendar year starting in March. Now, initially, um, months in the ancient Roman calendar included Mercedonius, an occasional month after February they'll be used to realign the Roman calendar. We use leap day to do that instead of a, an extra month. Quintilus, <coughs> excuse me, renamed July in honor of Julius Caesar in 444 B.C. And Sextilis, renamed August in honor of Roman Emperor Augustus. Well, y'all have asked me if would I talk about the... Uh, holidays and observances on each day. Well, it's interesting to uh, to wonder how many holidays we have on February 29th, since it only happens every four years. But there are a few. National Toast Day, Rare Disease Day, Bachelor's Day. Leap Year Day, International Underlings Day, Digital Learning Day, Jewish Book Week, uh, Cornish Pastry Week, Peace Corps Week, and, uh, you know, Digital Learning Day. The I heard a spiel from uh, one of the talking heads about uh, the need to have uh, children as young as four and five learn uh, digital um, interactions. Since more and more things are based that way. And when I was uh, 
before I was forced to retire, the man I worked for had a nine-year-old daughter. Cute as a button. And smarter than anybody had a right to be. We had a party, and uh, I had a home office, and my computer system had a very sophisticated security system on it. And I heard a noise in my home office and wouldn't see what it was, and his nine-year-old daughter had sat down at my computer, bypassed the security system, and was happily playing on the Internet. I said, how did you do that? She said, oh, I did this and this and this and this. Just rattled it off. I said, how'd you learn to do that? Oh, it just made sense. Maybe to her, but it didn't to me. Well, famous people born on this state. Richard Ramirez, the infamous Night Stalker. I was born on this state. Eileen Warnos. She, uh, she faced a tough childhood and turned to crime. Her actions, often debated and discussed, made her a well-known figure in criminal history. She died in 2002. Um, interestingly enough, there have been several well-known criminals born on February 29th. Then we got Tony Robbins, made a name for himself. National Black History Month, Canned Food Month, National Snack Food Month. National Children's Dental Health Month, Harley Quinn Month, National Embroidery Month, National Grapefruit Month, National Women's Inventors Month, Great American Pie Month, International Vegan Cuisine Month, American Heart Month, National Cherry Month, National Bake for Family Fun Month, National Bird Feeding Month, National Hot Breakfast Month, National Library Lovers Month, Low Vision Awareness Month, National Fasting Month, and North American Inclusion Month. Well, let's see what else we've got. Um, you know, February 29th was uh, a date added periodically to create leap years in the Julian and Gregorian calendars, as I explained earlier. And there's been a lot of customs and traditions, as I've said. It's the 60th day of a leap year in both Julian and Gregorian calendars. 306 days remain until the end of the year. It's the last day of February. Um, in leap years, with the exception of 1712 in Sweden... It's also the last day of meteorological winter in the Northern Hemisphere. The last day of the meteorological summer in the Southern Hemisphere. In the Gregorian calendar, the standard uh, civil calendar used in most of the world, February 29th is uh, added to, and each year that's an uh, integral multiple of four. And that's as evenly divisible by 100, but not by 400. For example, 1900 was not a leap year, but 2000 was. Uh, the convention of using February 29th was not widely accepted until the 18th century. Often, uh, February 24th was doubled instead, which is, I guess, kind of bizarre. Well, in 888, 
Otto. Oh, I'm sorry, Odo, Count of Paris, has crowned King of West Francia by Archbishop Walter of Sins in uh, Comptier. 1504, Christopher Columbus uses his knowledge of a lunar eclipse that night to convince Jamaican natives to provide him with supplies. Sixteen forty four. Abel Tasman's second Pacific voyage begins as he leaves Batavia and commanded three ships. Seventeen oh four in Queen Anne's War, French forces and Native Americans stage a raid on Deerfield, Massachusetts Bay Colony. Killed fifty six villagers and took more than a hundred captive. Seventeen twelve, February twenty ninth is followed by February thirtieth in Sweden in a move to abolish the Swedish calendar for a uh, Return to the Julian calendar. 1720, Eureka Eleonora, Queen of Sweden, abdicates in favor of her husband and becomes King Frederick I on March 24th. 1768, Polish nobles form the, the Bar Confederation. 1796, the Jay Treaty between the U.S. and Great Britain comes into force, facilitating 10 years of peaceful trade between the two nations. 1892, St. Petersburg, Florida is incorporated. Interesting date to incorporate a city. 1908, James Madison University is founded in Harrisburg, Virginia in the U.S. as the state normal and industrial school for women by the Virginia General Assembly. 1912, the Piedra Movediza, or the moving stone of Tyndale, falls and breaks. Uh, it was a balancing rock located in Tendil, Buenos Aires province, Argentina. Its weight was estimated to be about 300 tons. It attracted attention and tourists because of the way it was balanced on the edge of a hill. Well, on February 29, 1912, the stone fell and broke. Sources say it fell due to vandalism or vibrations caused by explosions in a nearby quarry. Well... Located on the top of La Movediza Hill. And it was interesting, not only because of the way it was balanced, but because it rocked from morning to night in a very slow fashion. People used to place glass bottles under the bottom of the rock, only to see them smashed later in the day. All kinds of strange things in this world. 1916. Tokelau is annexed by the U.K. 1916, in South Carolina, the minimum working age for factory, mill, and mine workers is raised from 12 to the ripe old age of 14. 1920, the Czechoslovak National Assembly adopts the Constitution. 1936, February 26th incident in Tokyo ends. Now, for those who are not familiar with the February 26th incident, I've talked about it before. An attempted coup d'etat in the Empire of Japan on, took place, began on uh, February 26, 1936, organized by a group of young Imperial Japanese Army officers with the goal of purging the government, the military, the leadership of their factional rivals and ideological opponents. And although they did succeed in assassinating several leading officials, including two former prime ministers and, and occupying the government center of Tokyo, they failed to assassinate Prime Minister Kisuke Okada, or secure control of the Imperial Palace. Had they done either of those, they would probably have been successful. 
Their supporters in the Army attempted to uh, capitalize on their actions, but divisions within the military combined with imperial anger at the coup meant they weren't able to achieve a change of government. Facing overwhelming opposition as the Army moved against them, they surrendered on uh, February 29th. Uh, unlike other examples of political violence by young officers, the coup attempt uh, had severe consequences. After a series of closed trials, 19 of the uprising's leaders were executed for a mutiny and another 40 were imprisoned. The uh, radical Kodohai faction lost its influence within the army, while the military, now free from infighting, increased its control over the civilian government, which had been severely weakened by the assassination of key moderate and liberal-minded leaders. Well, that's one of the problems with... Well, in the year 1940, for performances Mammy and Gone with the Wind, Hattie McDaniel became the first African-American to win an Academy Award. That was considered a major milestone in movie uh, production. Also in 1940, Finland initiates Winter War peace negotiations. The Winter War, for those that are not familiar was a war between the Soviet Union and Finland. It began with the Soviet invasion of Finland on November 30th, 1939, three months after the outbreak of World War II. And it ended uh, three and a half months later with the Moscow Peace Treaty on March 13th. Despite superior military strength, and tanks, and especially in tanks and aircraft, the Soviet Union suffered severe losses initially made little headway. And the League of Nations deemed the attack illegal and expelled the Soviet Union. It's very similar to what they did in Ukraine. Also in 1940, a ceremony held in Berkeley, California, physicist Ernest Lawrence got the 1939 Nobel Prize in Physics from Sweden's uh, Consul General in San Francisco. 1944, the Admiralty Islands are invaded in Operation Brewer, led by American General Douglas MacArthur in World War II. Operation Brewer... um, was a series of battles in the New Guinea campaign of World War II, in which the U.S. Army's 1st uh, Cav Division took the uh, Japanese-held Admiralty Islands. Acting on reports from airmen that there were no signs of enemy activity in the islands had been evacuated, MacArthur accelerated his timetable for capturing the Admiralties and ordered an immediate reconnaissance in force. campaign began uh, February 29, 1944, when the force landed on Los Negros, the third largest island in the group. By using a small, isolated beach where the Japanese had anticipated an assault, the force achieved tactical surprise, but the islands were far from unoccupied. A furious battle over the islands ensued. In the end, air superiority and command of the sea allowed the Allies to heavily reinforce their position on Los Negros. First Cav went on to overrun the islands. The campaign officially ended May 18, 1944. Allied victory completed the isolation of the major Japanese base at the Rabaul, uh, which was the ultimate objective of the Allied campaigns of 1942 and 1943. Major air and naval base um, was developed in the Admiralty Islands and became an important launching point for the uh, campaigns of uh, 1944 in the Pacific. And it marked the end of MacArthur's Operation Cartwheel, which was a multi-theater operation conducted to turn the powerful Japanese base of Rabaul into a de facto prisoner of war camp. 
Okay. 1960, 5.7. Agadir earthquake shakes coastal Morocco with a maximum of Kali intensity of 10, which is considered extreme, destroying Agadir and leaving 12,000 dead and 12,000 injured. 1972, South Korea withdraws 11,000 of its 48,000 troops from Vietnam as part of Nixon's Vietnamization policy in the Vietnam War. 1980, Gordie Howe, the Hartford Whalers, makes the National Hockey League history as he scores his 800th goal. 1984, Pierre Trudeau announces his retirement as Liberal Party leader and Prime Minister of Canada. 1988, South African Archbishop Desmond Tutu was arrested along with 100 other clergymen during a five-day anti-apartheid demonstration in Cape Town. 1988, Sven Robinson becomes the first member of the House of Commons of Canada to come out as gay. 1982, first day of Bosnia-Herzegovina and independence referendum. 1996, Fawcett, Peru, Flight 251 crashes in the Andes. All 123 passengers and crew are killed. 1996, the siege of Sarajevo officially ends. On this date in 2000, Chechnyans attack a guard post near Ulus Kurt eventually killing 84 Russian paratroopers during the Second Chechenian War. 2004, Jean Bertrand Aristide is removed as president of Haiti following a coup. 2008, United Kingdom's Ministry of Defense withdraws Prince Harry from a tour of Afghanistan after news of his deployment is leaked to foreign media. They were afraid he'd be shot. And apparently, now they wish he was. 2008, Misha... De Fonseca admits to fabricating her memoir, Misha, a memoir of the Holocaust years, and which she claims to have lived with a pack of wolves in the woods during the Holocaust. I don't think so. 2012, North Korea agrees to suspend uranium enrichment, nuclear and big long-range missile tests in return for U.S. food aid. 2016, at least 40 people are killed and 58 others wounded following a suicide bombing by ISIL at a Shiite funeral in the city of Migdadiya and Dayala, 2020, during a demonstration, pro-government collectibles shoot at uh, disputed president and speaker of the National Assembly, Juan Goyado, and his supporters in Barquisimeto, Venezuela, leaving five injured. 2020, the U.S. and the Taliban signed the Doha Agreement to bring peace to Afghanistan. Good try, didn't work. 2020, Mayuddin Yassin is appointed as the 8th Prime Minister of Malaysia amid the 2020 Malaysian political crisis. Well, there have been crisis no matter where you look for more years than I can count. Yesterday, we were talking about um, legendary Hollywood and the accidental death of a lot of stars. Well, as I said yesterday, today we're going to talk about Hollywood murders, starting with Judith Barcy. The uh, Barcy um, had appeared in episodes of St. Elsewhere and Cagney and Lacey and Growing Pains and ironically appeared um, in the fact-based uh, telefilm Fatal Vision in 1984. She was one of the children murdered by their ex-Green Beret father. Now, Judith, though she had a, um, a good career already, was only 11 years old at the time of her murder. Um, Sherry Barber, who was a mother of, a, mother of an actress herself, 
wrote a newspaper article. She said she had met uh, Maria Barcy, the mother, in 1985. With Sherry's daughter, Andrea, and Judith were playing sisters to uh, grandparents Joanne Woodward and Richard Kiley. In the film, Do You Remember Love? Sherry thought uh, Judith was a happy child, but she noted Maria barely talked about her husband, Joseph, of whom she said, uh, when he was young, he looked like uh, Mario Lanza. In retrospect, uh, Sherry recalled that over the subsequent years, Maria always seemed so straightforward and strong and capable, uh, was giving off hints of marital discord and fear she had of her husband. Meanwhile, Judah's career continued to go up. 1987, she appeared in the features Slam Dance and Jaws of Revenge. In May of 1988, Sherry and Andrea... Uh, encountered Maria and Judith in the studio parking lot. Maria mentioned she wanted to take Judith the Hungry to meet her parents, but she said she was afraid to because her husband threatened to burn down her house if she did. She said he showed me where he keeps the gas in the can and told me how he intends to use it. At that point in time, Sherry noted Judith had put on a great deal of weight and didn't have any eyelashes. She had pulled them out. It's also the last time that Sherry would see the Barsies alive. July 27, 1988, Joseph shot both his wife and daughter in the head, drenched their bodies in gasoline, set them on fire, and then shot himself. In the media coverage that followed, uh, Judith's agent stated his client had once uh, plucked out her arm blouse along with that her, her cat's whiskers and, uh, while de- uh, because of stress. Uh, Judith and her mother were buried on August 9, 1987 in a small ceremony at Forest Lawn in the Hollywood Hills. November, Judith was heard as the voice of Ducky in the animated feature, The Land Before Time. Final screen work wasn't released until late 1989. In the animated feature, All Dogs Go to Heaven, she was the voice of the youngster Anne-Marie. She could have had a really remarkable career if not for her white child father. And... uh, this next one uh, brought on a lot of uh, coverage at the time. Dominique Dunn, strangled by her boyfriend, November 4th, 1982. In uh, June of 82, she'd been praised for her appearance in the hit movie Poltergeist. Played the older daughter of Craig Nelson and Joe Beth Williams. Five months later, with everything to look forward to, she was strangled by her 26-year-old boyfriend, John Sweeney, in her West Hollywood apartment. Well, Dominique, like many in Hollywood, were born with a silver spoon in her mouth. Industry pedigree included being the daughter of film producer novelist Dominic Dunn and Helen Griffin Dunn. Her older brother, Griffin, uh, <coughs> also became an actor. She was the niece of writers John Gregory Dunn and his wife, uh, Joan Didion. Born in Santa Monica. Attended the fashionable Taft School in Waterwan, uh, Connecticut, the Fountain Valley School in Colorado Springs, Colorado, and the British Institute and the Michelangelo Schools in Florence, Italy. Deciding on an acting career, she uh, had all the appropriate uh, industry contacts to break into show business. She had roles in uh, such TV series as Breaking Away, Chips, Fame, Family, Hill Street Blues, and even Lou Grant. And she was in films such as The, the Day the Loving Stopped in 1981. 
She'd been cast as a regular on the projected science fiction series V in 1983, which was then shooting a four-hour pilot. Uh, she could have had a phenomenal career. Well, on Saturday evening, October 30th, 1982, at her apartment, uh, she and her boyfriend, a chef at the Mama's own restaurant, got into a screaming argument about a possible reconciliation. And he wanted to move back in with her. And when she said no, he began to strangle her. Police were called by neighbors and found him standing over her a body. When he was taken into custody, he said, I'll kill my girlfriend. Well, she wasn't dead. This unconscious actress was rushed to an intensive care unit at nearby Cedars-Sinai Medical Center, where she remained comatose on life support for five days. On November 4th at 11 in the morning, her heart stopped. The hospital later said, uh, we didn't pull the plug. She never regained consciousness and just died. We don't know why. Buried at West, Westwood Memorial Park. John Sweeney's subsequent trial it was revealed that several weeks earlier, the this obsessive young man had uh, actually tried to strangle her previously. Afraid of him, she ordered him to move out of her apartment and change the locks. Well, he was sentenced to the maximum prison sentence of 62 years. It was released in June of 86, which shows you what kind of justice uh, Californian general in Hollywood specifically has. And of course, one of the most famous murders was that of Salminio. You know, baby-faced, uh, compact Salminio is forever cast as a sensitive juvenile delinquent. Twice nominated for an Oscar and an Emmy winner. He never did much beyond his career successes in the 1950s as a teenage idol. His career floundered in the 70s. Found uh, younger leading men that would, for, uh, came to the fore for the New style movies. Many of them became drug dependent. And just as his career was taking a new path, he was doing stage directing. He was murdered one night in West Hollywood. Killed by the type of disturbed young man he used to play on camera. Well, he was born Salvatore Minio Jr. in uh, 1939. One of four children born to a Sicilian immigrant couple. His father had a unique occupation. He made caskets for a living. Yeah. Sal grew up in a rough Bronx neighborhood. By age eight, he was a gang member and a troublemaker. His mother thought she would give him something else to channel his energy. He sent him to dance class, hoping that would change his ways. Instead, at 10, he engineered the theft of gym equipment from his school. Well, he wasn't a very good thief. He was caught in chose going to a professional high school for acting hopefuls rather than a home for delinquent kids. And with his Italian good looks, um, he was cast on Broadway in Tennessee Williams' The Rose Tattoo in 1951. He had one line in that film, or in that uh, play, The Goats in the Yard. Next, an understudy in the musical The King and I, graduated to playing the young prince for nearly two years. Made his screen debut playing Tony Curtis as a young man in The Six Bridges to Cross in 1955. But it was his role as Plato in the 
as a switchblade-yielding delinquent in Liberal Without a Cause in 1955 that won him an Oscar nomination as a Best Supporting Actor and, and shared his fame. There were rumors that he and the show's star, James Dean, uh, were lovers, but Mignot uh, told a friend we could have been, but we never were. Well, with his newfound success, he bought his family a fancy home in Mamaroneck, New York. As a teenage heartthrob, he made a recording uh, when he tried to go into music, and his song Start Moving was a hit. Well, the rest of the 50s saw him overlooked and over and over again as a and uh, when he was cast, it was usually as a street rebel, occasionally going offbeat when he played an Indian in Tonka in 1959, the drum-playing musician in the Gene Krupa story in 1959. His career peaked with his Oscar-nominated roles as Zionist in Exodus in 1960. Having played a Jew who killed Arabs in Exodus actually cost him a role in Lawrence of Arabia in 1962. The Georgian government wouldn't allow him to enter their country for location shooting. Off-screen, uh, quietly, Mignot had a preference for men, but in the limelight he was had publicity-engineered romances with assorted starlets such as Jill Hayworth and Two Zeweld and Joey Heatherton. Well, by the end of the 60s, acting roles were few, and he turned to stage directing. He uh, His last movie was one of the simians in Escape from the Planet of the Apes in 1971. In the fall of 75, he staged and starred in P.S. Your Cat's Dead, San Francisco. Played a bisexual burglar. Night of February 12th, 1976, he was coming back home to his West Hollywood apartment from a rehearsal of the upcoming L.A. production of P.S. Your Cat's Dead at uh, Westwood Playhouse, which was uh, expected to draw a large crowd. Having parked his car in the building garage he was waylaid by an unknown assailant neighbors heard him shout for help uh, raymond evans rushed to his aid and gave him mouth-to-mouth resuscitation but by the time the paramedics arrived he was dead according to the coroner's determination he'd been he had died of a massive hemorrhage due to a stab wound of the chest that penetrated the heart witness came forth later said he saw a long-haired caucasian male fleeing the scene robbed just ruled out his uh, wallet and jewelry was still on the body. Other theories suggested uh, he died as a result of a drug deal gone bad or his death was a byproduct of his homosexual lifestyle. Well, with the crime still unsolved, a funeral service was held in Mamaroneck, New York, five days after the murder. He was buried at the cemetery of the Gate of Heaven in Hawthorne, New York. Two years later, in Michigan prison, 21-year-old Lionel Ray Williams, a one-time pizza delivery boy, bragged to his cellmate he has been the one to kill Sal Menio. It had been easy to do. On the night of Sal's murder, when the news uh, flashed on TV, Williams had told his girlfriend, that's the man I killed. But at the time, there wasn't enough evidence to even arrest him for the crime. February 1959, Williams, who had a record of arrest and brutalizing victims, was convicted of murdering Minio and got a 51-year-to-life sentence. Trial judge uh, characterized him as a sadistic killer who, if released, would no doubt uh, kill again. The case of the so-called Midnight Marauder was finally solved. Well, this next one. His name still resonates in Hollywood, even though he's been dead 60 years. Ramon Navarro, born Jose Ramon Gil Samaniego, 
In the twenties, Hollywood boasted three handsome matinee idols who made women everywhere just swoon. Udon Valentino, John Gilbert, and Ramon Navarro. But then in the twenties, Valentino was dead and Gilbert was washed up because he couldn't make the transition to talkies. But Mexican-born Ramon, with his dashing good looks, had a fine, if uh, accented, speaking voice, and he could sing as well. In fact, his version of Pagan Love Song became a recording hit, which further increased his stature. As he grew older and acting styles changed, the roles grew fewer, but he continued to work on TV up into the 1960s. And on Halloween Eve in 1968, he was murdered brutally in his Spanish-style Hollywood Hills home in Laurel Canyon Boulevard. The glory, uh, the gory burgeon, uh, bludgeoning of the once star gave Navarro the kind of headlines he had not had since he would start in Ben Hur in 1920. Well, Ramon Navarro was uh, left as the sole um, heartthrob from that time period. Had dashing good looks and a fine, if accented, speaking voice. He was born in Durango, 1899, oldest of 13 children. His father was a wealthy dentist. They moved to Mexico City. After the Mexican Revolution, the family relocated to Los Angeles in 1913. Shortly after the relocation, his father died. Ramon became the head of the family. Risk gambling for an income, he worked assorted jobs. He was a piano teacher, grocery clerk, theater usher, and a busboy to Alexandria Hotel, all while trying to break into an entertainment career. He was a cafe singer, and then he performed in a vaudeville ballet troupe. And eventually, he started getting small roles. He did a dance in Max Sennett's A Small Town Idol, 1921, wearing only a loincloth and a turban to show off his fine physique. Then he had a, a bid in Rudolph Valentino's Four Horsemen of the Apocalypse in 1921. He and Valentino had been very good friends for a number of years, and some folks say they were gay lovers. Ramon's big break came when director Rex Ingram cast him as the lead in The Prisoner of Zinda in 1922. The film was a major hit in his role in the era of 1924. He was the screen's new Latin lover. By 1925, he was earning 10000 a week at the MGM and given the lead in Ben-Hur in 1926. This was the height of his career. He built a 17-room mansion. His mother and several of his brothers and sisters came to live with him. And ironically, Juan Navarro was the idol of millions of women. He preferred the company of men. For a while, he thought of leaving pictures to become an opera star, but the talky revolution allowed him to both act and sing. Made a successful talky, The Pagan, in 1929, and his screen career continued with the roles opposite to Greta Garbo, uh, Myrna Loy. Occasionally, he even directed a film. Growing restless in Hollywood, as MGM was getting a little tired of him, he went to Europe, made a movie, and went on a stage tour with his sister Carmen. Uh, back in California, he tried to come back. 1937 movie called The Sheep Steps Out. It became more uh, burlesque than a satire. 1940 found him alternating between his 50-acre ranch near San Diego 
making an occasional film abroad and touring in summer stock and late in the decade doing character parts in Hollywood features. His final role in 1959 was Heller in Pink Tights, though he did make TV appearances in the 60s. Well, by the late 1960s, he was approaching 70, lived an almost hermit-like existence in his Hollywood Hills home, attended by his longtime friend and secretary, Edward Weber. Found distraction in alcohol, as many of them did. He had several drunk driving arrests, and he also had the services of male hustlers. When Weber summoned the police to Navarro's home on the morning of October 31st, 1968, they found the living room was a shambles and the bedroom a bloodbath. The former star was lying dead on his king-sized bed, nude, his body bruised from head to toe. Ankles and wrists were tied with an electric cord, and there was a zigzag mark on his neck. On the mirror was scrawled the, front, the sentence, us girls are better than faggots. Broken black cane had been placed across his legs. Underneath the corpse, the police found the name Larry scribbled in large letters on the sheet. name Larry was also found written on a telephone pad. In a neighbor's yard, they found a heap of bloody clothing. It turned out Larry, uh, the referred to, had been had known Navarro and had passed on the rumor with Ramon had the $5,000 cash stashed in the house. He had told his 23-year-old brother-in-law, Paul Ferguson, of Chicago. Ferguson had served time in a Wyoming prison for grand theft and was on the loose in Hollywood, his uh, young wife having left him. Paul wanted to leave town, but he needed money. Joined by his 17-year-old brother, Tom, they arranged a rendezvous at Navarro's house. They arrived about 5.30 in the afternoon and began drinking. Weber returned to the house with cigarettes from Navarro at 6 p.m. But after giving his employer the package at the door, he left without getting into the house. Later, the three tried to eat the dinner that Weber had left for his boss. When drunk, Paul, who hated himself for having to hustle, became extremely violent. In the bedroom, he beat the male, the nude actor viciously with the, when the latter tried to sodomize him. He had Tom help drag the unconscious actor to the shower to wash off the blood and under the water. Navarro brief, briefly regained consciousness. Infuriating Paul, who then uh, smashed the, the cane over the actor's head and shoulders. Now, Navarro fell to the floor and suffocated in his own blood. Brothers later drug him to the bedroom and tied him to the bed to make it look like a robbery and that a woman had been uh, with Navarro. Paul had written Larry's name on the, the sheet and the notepad and scribbled the mirror message. They even put a condom on the dead man's hand. However, the only money they found was $45. Young men tore off their bloody clothes, put on others taken from Ramon's uh, closet, and while fleeing, uh, threw their bloody clothes over a fence into a neighbor's yard. Well, with the notoriety from his murder, more than a thousand people paraded by Navarro's open coffin November 4th, 1968. That was the day of his funeral, buried in a simple grave at Calvary Cemetery in Los Angeles. Well, then following up the clues, the police checked a 48-minute phone call that had been made on the murder night from Navarro's house to Chicago and found it had been made by Tom Ferguson. Well, with that and other clues, including fingerprints left at the scene, the police arrested the brothers in Bell Gardens near Los Angeles November 6, 1968. At the, the July 1969 trial, the Ferguson brothers were convicted of murder and sentenced to life in prison. But... It being California, seven years later, they were paroled. 
Well, another name that was making quite a career for herself was Rebecca Schaefer. Other Hollywood screen and TV personalities have been murdered over the decades. But the sense of the shooting of Rebecca Schaefer in 1989 polarized public sympathy and outrage. Maybe it's because the promising actress was 21, beautiful, and already successful, and her assassin was a crazed fan obsessed with his unrequited love for her. She was born in 1967 in Eugene, Oregon, only child of a psychologist and a writer. As a child growing up in Portland, she was active in the local synagogue and briefly sought, uh, thought briefly of becoming a rabbi. At the age of 14, she was modeling and thinking of an acting career. In a TV movie, Quarterback Princess, it was shot on location in McMinnville, Oregon. She won a tiny role. At age 16, she took off on her own for New York City. She later said she knew her parents went through hell on her actions. She attended a professional children's school in Manhattan, eventually graduated. Had a small continuing role on the soap opera Little Life to Live in 1984. Went to Japan to model where her short height, five foot seven, wouldn't be an obstacle. Came back to Hollywood and was cast by Woody Allen in a brief part in Radio Days in 1987. She became a primetime TV personality when she was hired to play uh, Pam Dauber's 16-year-old sister on My Sister Sam in 1986. When asked how she coped with the pressure of instant success on the network sitcom, she said, I was never frightened. I wasn't nervous. I knew I could do it. With her career ascending, she made the sex farce scenes from the class struggle in Beverly Hills in 1989, went to Italy for a two-part TV movie, Voyage of Terror, the Cleo Laura affair in 1990. And back in the U.S., and Diane Cannon put her in a picture. Well, on Tuesday, November 18, 1989, 10.15 in the morning, she was at her Sweetser uh, Avenue apartment in Hollywood, about to leave for an audition for The Godfather Part Three. She was going to read for director Francis Ford Coppola. Doorbell rang, and because the intercom system was broken, she answered the ring in person. Dressed in a black bathrobe, she opened the glass security door to her two-story uh, apartment building. Talked briefly with the visitor, went back inside after he left. But he came back, and when she dismissed him, the young man uh, aimed a handgun at her and shot her in the chest. Paramedics rushed her to nearby Cedar Sinai, where she was dead on arrival. Hawaii Shalom Cemetery in Portland, Oregon. Rabbi Josiah Sampfer uh, eulogized her. As uh, But in a short time after her murder, Los Angeles police compiled information about a bookish-looking suspect who had been spotted by several neighbors in front of Schaefer's apartment building for several hours before the shooting. The young man had been holding up a picture of Schaefer and asking passerbyers where she lived. After the homicide, uh, he fled the scene. Next day, July 19, 1991, 19-year-old Robert John Bardo... Uh, was uh, detained in Tucson for creating a public nuisance on the street. At that time, he made statements that linked him to Schaefer's murder. As the facts were pieced together, it developed that Bardo, a one-time Tucson janitor, had been a devout admirer of Rebecca and begun writing her fan letters. Years earlier, he had been obsessed with Samantha Smith, a 10-year-old Maine girl of the game fame by writing uh, to the premiere uh, of Russia. Bardo had traveled to Manchester, Maine to meet her and been prevented by police who detained him for as a runaway minor. 
He received an autographed picture of Rebecca in response to writing her care of my sister Sam and interpreted that as an indication of a special rapport existing between him and the actress. Yeah. He paid a Tucson detective agency doing $50 to trace her whereabouts. Uh, they did it very simply through the California Department of Motor Vehicles. Having her address, he quit his fast food restaurant job in Tucson and took a bus to California. Once in Los Angeles, he appeared one day at the Burbank Studios with a five-foot-tall teddy bear and a bouquet of flowers for Schaefer. Security guard at the front gate tried to dissuade the young man from continuing his quest. Next, with a gun that Bardo's brother had bought for him, which he had taken without permission, Bardo arrived at Schaefer's building, talked to her briefly, shook hands, and he left. Well, having forgotten to give his idol a letter and a compact disc he had for her, he came back and rang the bell. When she said, hurry up, I don't have much time, he became offended, pulled out the three fifty seven, and shot her. Later testified in court, he almost had a heart attack when he learned the next day that Schaefer was dead. Well, on September, in the September 1991 trial in Los Angeles, it was determined that the defendant had a history of mental problems suffered from schizophrenia. But it was ruled he wasn't legally insane at the time of the killing. He was found guilty of first-degree murder and guilty of special circumstances, lying in the wake to kill the actress. He waived his right to a jury trial, so the death sentence wasn't an option. Instead, he was sentenced to life in prison without the possibility of parole. Um, as a repercussion from Rebecca's death, a California law was passed uh, restricting access to Department of Motor Vehicle information. Well, another... Brilliant career, senselessly cut short. Then, of course, a name that um, everybody probably knew who's of my generation, Carl Alfalfa Schweitzer. 1935, the Our Gang cast shorts uh, added another young actor to its comedy roster. There's a freckle face, Carl Schweitzer. The one with the cow lick and a squeaky voice that screeched off key when he sang. Nicknamed Alfalfa by producer Hal Roach, he quickly developed into a popular screen personality. But he had one career problem. He grew up no longer a sought-after commodity in the industry. He turned to drinking. Then he was shot in an argument over $50. Born on a farm in Paris, Illinois, 1927. He and his older brother Harold often sang at local events. When they visited their grandparents in California in early 1935, they decided to visit the studio where the Iron comedy shorts were made. They had no way to get onto the lot, but the studio cafeteria was just outside the gate. One day at lunchtime, the boys made an unscheduled appearance. Dressed in overalls, they treated the diners to an impromptu uh, round of hillbilly songs. Roach was impressed with their uh, gutsiness and Hastily wrote them into a comedy short called Beginner's Luck in 1935. And in production, Harold, known as Deadpan or Slam, remained with the series for a few years, but generally as a background figure. But Alfalfa developed quite a following and rivaled Spanky McFarlane as the focal point of the trouble-prone on-screen kids. In a six-year period, Alfalfa went through 61 short subjects. In 1941, Schweitzer left the gang, physically too adult to partake in the gang's juvenile shenanigans. Pounded the beat of film casting officers where he was greeted with a constant, didn't you used to be? Um, occasionally he was given small movie roles. 
the uh, Human Comedy in 43 and Going My Way in 44. Joined the low-budget uh, Gas House Kid film series in the mid-40s, but the series sputtered out after three entries. When screen jobs were too few, he made a modest living as a bartender and sometimes as a hunting and fishing guide in Northern California. Henry Fonda and Roy Rogers were among his clients, so he actually knew quite a lot of um, well-known and well-placed people. He married an heiress from Kansas, but the marriage was finished in five weeks. Disillusioned Schweitzer told the press, bear hunting and marriage don't mix. Irritated by life stumbling blocks, he started drinking more frequently and heavily. When inebriated, he turned boastful and pugnacious, which frequently led to barroom brawls. Early 1958, he was shot at by an unknown assailant as he left a bar. The pair of Laurie Rogers used him as a in his TV series four times between 50, uh, 52 and 55, and he appeared in a segment of Science Fiction Theater in 1955. However, by this time, Hollywood had pretty much forgotten him. He was hired for the small role of Angus and the, the Defiant Ones in 1958. He had visions at that time of a long-hoped-for comeback finally happening. Instead, the Tony Curtis and Poitier picture proved to be his swan song. Well, on July 29, 1959, Carl and a friend stormed over to the home of Bud Stilts in North Hollywood. Stilts recently lost, uh, Schweitzer recently lost uh, Stilts' hunting dog, and it cost Carl a $50 reward to retrieve the animal. Now he wanted Stilts to reimburse him. Well, having failed in his efforts to affect the reimbursement over the telephone, he barged into Schweitzer's living room. And during the argument, the Drunken Schweitzer grabbed a nearby heavy clock and cracked it over Stilts' head. When Schweitzer's uh, pal remained an onlooker, Stilts ran to his bedroom for his gun without alfalfa and hot pursuit. Uh, the two men fought over the weapon and discharged, causing Stilts' fiancée and her three children, who were huddled with her in the bedroom, to flee to a neighbor's house. Carl drew his hunting knife and yelled he was going to kill his opponent. He charged the man and Stilts fired. Bullet hits Carl in the stomach and he collapsed. Dead. Well, the main part of the problem, as far as Schweitzer was concerned, is he felt everybody had abandoned him. And that was pretty much true. On that note, we come to the end of today's show. We'll be back tomorrow and talk about some more murders. Until then, this is Ken Hudnall for the Ken Hudnall Show, saying have a truly great evening.